Welcome to Questions from the Pew, the intersection of faith and culture. We're your hosts. I'm Riker Zalameta. I'm Lucas Manning. Hey, here we are for a special bonus episode. A special bonus episode. <laughs> we're, we're calling this one Responses from the Pew. Mm. Yeah. But sent, that's a, a tweak on a suggestion by uh, one of the people who sent in questions yes. for this, uh, this episode. Yes, we're not answers from the pew. No. But we may be responses from the pew. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah. So I think this will be great. I think we just got a few good questions from yeah. various listeners. So Thanks for sending good. those in to yeah. our faithful listeners. We always appreciate the engagement, honestly. It's a lot of fun. It's yeah. a lot more fun when there's, you know, conversation partners. Yeah, at least we know that we're not just talking into thin air. Yes. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's engaging somebody. So that's that's nice to know. Yes. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, well, let's just jump uh, straight in, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. This first question is from an anonymous listener, and he says, I was recently reading tough questions that no Christian can answer. And after I had a good chuckle, I was struck with this thought. How tough can a question about God be if your faith in him is strong? Every question I read, although billed as an impossible question to answer, I had an answer, because he's God. What else need to be said? All right. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, here's the thing. And we're kind of, I mean, this is nice because we're kind of going off the cuff on this one. <laughs> less, uh, just, you know, more conversational, I guess. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing that strikes me is I think the question views, like, questions as kind of like a an uncertainty or like uh, something to be scared of. Whereas I would say questions don't have to be like, even un, like, even if we have to leave them unanswered, they don't have to be like a negative thing on faith. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like faith isn't, faith isn't uh, diminished by like tough questions or questions that are hard to answer. I would say faith is enriched by like hard to ask questions or how hard to answer questions. Yeah. I think, cause it makes us take a look at, what we you know what we assume you know yeah yeah i mean if especially if you if you go by the idea that you know christianity isn't just a set of set of um ideas to assent to mentally but it's a relationship that's lived out which i do think it is um yeah asking questions of someone you're in relationship with regardless of how tough it is doesn't reflect on right. how much you trust that person. If anything, right. I think it shows an incredible amount of trust to ask the tough questions and to even acknowledge and admit that um, that these are tough questions. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's where I'm with him in the sense that, like, so I think my faith, like in God, and obviously, yeah, just being a Christian, it does, like it does override some of the questions that I have. For instance, like classic question that nobody can answer is like the uh, problem of evil, right? Mm -hmm. So if God is all good and God is all uh, powerful, like why is there any evil in the world? You know what I'm saying? A more emotional like way to put that that I've read in various, various places is like, so if like God is a loving father and like he saw his daughter being raped right in front of him, like wouldn't he intervene? So like if he doesn't, either he's not able to or he's not good. Like that's right. like the argument, which is 
once again, it's a question that the church has not had much of an answer for, at least satisfying one, in my opinion. Not a holistic one. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't, I guess to me, that's where like mystery has to play a part in faith. Cause that's where it's like, yeah, I actually like, I don't have an answer for that one. Um, but that's where trust comes in though. Right. Yeah, trust. And, and what, Sorry, I'm not even using trust as a as a carpet to shove the tough question under. Right. But if if as the Bible says um, or demonstrates, God is a good God, and He's just, and He is good, and He's all powerful, then all of those things need to be held in balance um, somehow, right? Yeah. And so the the tough thing is how. How do we hold all those things um, in balance? Um, but but I at the same time, yeah, I don't think the the answer to that is to simply say that there aren't any tough questions. I think the right. in large part the narrative of the Bible is trying to answer and deal with those tough questions, like you see sure. it all over the place in the Psalms or even the prophets, right? Uh, as well, they're they're dealing with very tough questions. Um, but they're asking them of God instead of walking away. Sure. Right. Which I think that's, I guess that's where it's um, like an impossible to answer question. I don't know if answers are always like what's needed. Like sometimes what's needed is like what you're saying is trust, which to be fair might not be like some of you out there might be thinking, you know, that just trusting when, you know, something seems really fishy. You know, I'm not about to do that. So that makes sense. But that's, I guess I've learned to be all right with the tensions and like the unanswered questions of Christianity. And to be fair, Christianity isn't the only thing that has like the only worldview that has unanswered questions. Like every, every worldview that you can possibly think of, like you can create something where it's like this, this doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Right. So that's where. I guess I think it's, I mean, we're just limited creatures. And so that's just the nature of how we operate. You know what I mean? Yeah. But all that to say, we should never, st- I think we should never stop asking questions because it helps us refine what we believe and, and why we believe it. Yeah, definitely. And it helps us create more episodes on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Selfishly. <laughs> if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, but I but agree. I, I do appreciate the question though. Cause yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good, it's one I, I hear a lot too of, mm-hmm. you know, just, just believe, you know, the that catchphrase, which I'm with. That's the thing. I'm with it, but also ask questions. Yeah. There have been, historically within the, the history of the church, there have been swings from one end of the spectrum to the other where it's like super heady in some eras. And then the, the reaction to that is a... Um, experiential. Yeah. Experiential, more faith, like yeah. base, like stop trying to think things through so much and said, trust right. God sort of idea. Um, and I think a healthy place to be is always trying to s- straddle that middle ground instead of being at one end or the other. Definitely. Well, great. I mean, I cool. feel pretty satisfied yeah. with that one. Thanks. Hopefully that answers the question a little bit. I think it's a, it's a very good question. Yeah. Um, and it's honestly one that I think in large part drives our conversations mm. on this. It's the fact that, uh, that there are tough questions, even though we might not necessarily want to build them as, 
as tough questions right. they are, and we right, they yeah. deserve to be talked about. For sure. Well, great. Yeah, well, we can go on to the second question here. Yeah. This one's from Charlie from Sarasota, Florida. He hey, asks, <laughs> how much should a church uh, church's diversity in the pews be reflected by diversity of the staff? This is the kind of this is kind of a big topic right now. Churches are trying to be diverse, but yet their staff is still made up of mostly white men. Uh, we tried to make our platform diverse on a Sunday morning, but as far as diversity in the staff, it wasn't something that was really intentional. Thoughts? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'd say great question, Charlie. Yeah, and that's a. I feel like that's something that is so contextual. Yeah. Because like in the episode that um, I assume that the episode that he's referring to is just the doing church episode. Right. Um, but the, like in that episode, we were just talking about all those different binaries mm-hmm. that kind of, that churches kind of fall into um, or are forced to come to a position on uh, right. in terms of their identity. And man, the different combinations <laughs> right. that churches embody are just almost innumerable. Um mm. And so that's a, yeah, I, I'm very hesitant to answer it in a way that... A prescriptive manner. Yeah. yeah. Not even a prescriptive, but like very broad strokes. Sure, sort sure. Of thing, you know? I mean, I do have some thoughts, so I'll just... Yeah. <laughs> he asked for thoughts, so I'll have a few <laughs> thoughts. Um, I guess, I guess the main thing I would say is I think that churches have nothing to lose when it comes to, like added diversity so like i don't know i guess i think there's some churches that make it like this thing that's more of like a a badge of honor than it is like you know something that is actually helpful Mm -hmm. so that's not good but for the most part like i guess just the more diversity in church and the more we're interacting with people with differing backgrounds other christians with differing backgrounds and uh cultures I just I I can't see it doing anything negative for the church other than, you know, there's there might be some more conflict within the church because there's different ways of doing things. Right. Um but I think that that's a good thing, I guess. It's like a good kind of conflict. Yeah. I'd rather have that kind of conflict than like, you know, I don't know, normal church conflict <laughs> about carpet carpet color and all that. Or how to uh, collect the offering. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I guess that's where, to me, it's just about, like, enrichment of the body of Christ. And to me, Mm -hmm. the more diverse, yeah, well, here's the thing. Some congregations, like, they're just, they're in, you know, super, I guess, monocultural environments. And so that makes Mm -hmm. sense. We talked about that in the Doing Church episode, is it just makes sense, like, to have, you know, that culture's church Mm -hmm. or that culture's leaders, you know, at the forefront. But in a case where you do have, you know, multiple cultural ethnic racial groups in an area i mean i think it i think it can only help i guess yeah i think it in large part it has to deal with i guess the motivation like is the is diversity the end goal or is the goal in diversity is diversity a means to reflect something um beyond itself you know what i mean so i think the the what it comes down to is that the church should reflect um, the kingdom of God as a whole. Mm. Um, whether, um, 
whether that's easy to do or not, that's a whole other question. But if the goal of a like a local congregation um, is to um, to better reflect the reality of the diverse kingdom of God, of the church <laughs> universal, then by all means make every effort to be as diverse as possible. And not only, you know, racially or ethnically diverse, but diverse in, in various means as well. But obviously, um, sure. you know, racial and ethnic diversity is kind of the at the forefront right. of the conversation. So in that respect, I, I say, yeah, let's let's strive towards that. Um, right. But I think we come into a dangerous area when we make diversity a goal because of the sake of diversity or any perceived pressure from from the outside to look a certain way. Sure, sure. And I think back kind of to the original question about it being re- like the pews diversity being reflected in the church or in the church leadership, I think that just, like, makes perfect sense. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, if your church is yeah. already diverse, like, I think it just makes sense. Like, it should be represented on stage or in staff or, you know, whatever. Right. So I think, yeah, to the original question, if, like, if it is a diverse congregation and then, you know, there's only white folks or white men as in leadership roles, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, just take a look at that. Yeah. I don't know. I think, yeah, I mean, that that – that goes to the the core a question of like what is that local church there for right mm-hmm. is it to disseminate ideas or is it to disciple people because if you're truly discipling people and the people who are in your pews and we we're using pews here as a the broad thing of like as a broad right. idea or like a as a broad way of talking about people in a congregation not everyone has pews um, <laughs> But um, but yeah, if if the people in your congregation are diverse, then I think it it might be a little it, it at least should raise a few flags if the leadership is is all you know as as Charlie said in his questions is all white men right right because then the question becomes well are you as a church as church leadership really discipling and training up people to disciple other people and to teach um, mm. um because yeah because it become it can easily become very um not patronizing but you get in the uh, into the like it sends an unconscious message kind of of right. these are the people who teach and these are right. the people who learn exactly whereas yeah the mission of the church is to equip its its members to do the work of the ministry. Right. And right. I think if the church is doing that well, then the people who are, you know, rising into ministry leadership and are recognized as having those gifts and talents, they, sh- I mean, in, in some part, they should be coming from the pews of the church. Right. Right. Totally. So, yeah. So I think, yeah, they're, uh, yeah, it should reflect it, but again, it's a it's always a question of let's check the motives as we're doing that because it can for be, sure. Um, yeah, it's a very it can be a very fine line to walk. Right, it can be another cool badge onto your cool church. Right. You know, exactly. If that's what it is, then it's like okay, like right. we just don't need that. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Charlie also asks another question for you 
from some other podcasts I listen to is whether we are at a 500-year tipping point for Reformation. Intriguing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is interesting. I mean, I you had to kind of inform me on what this was referring mm-hmm. to because I wasn't sure. So I don't know if you want to reform, sure. or not reform, inform <laughs> the listeners. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know which circles they it kind of runs in, but um, Phyllis Tickle, it sounds like, was the person who, if she didn't um, initially observe it or make the observation, uh, she was at least the the one who popularized it. But yeah. uh, she was, uh, I think she passed a couple years ago, but uh, she was a pretty recognized authority, um, an expert on American religion. Um, and she was just talking about, she was talking about um, changes in the American church and she made the observation that within that every 500 years or so give or take a, a decade or two there have been major upheavals and uh, and reformations or transitions within um, within world history but also specifically within church history yeah um, so f- um, 500 years ago was the Protestant Reformation uh, 500 right. years uh, before that was uh, coming out of the, the Dark Ages. Yeah. Um, and the Great Schism. The Great Schism was part of that yes. where, yeah, the Eastern and Rome, uh, the Eastern and Western Church uh, divided. Yeah. Um, that was largely due to both theological and political reasons. Um, right. Downfall of Rome, that sort of thing. Uh, and then, you know, even before that was the actual birth of the church where... Sure. You know, as they say, time split uh, between, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, the year of our Lord and, and before Christ or depending on how you ascribe to it, common era and before common era. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's interesting. Um, yeah. Because that's what. Yeah. What is it? It's like in the 1500s starts the Reformation mm-hmm. and in the thousands, yeah. I guess it's great schism. And then in the 500. It's uh, like the fall of the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. which was like uh, at that time, Christianity was the, the state religion. religion. Yeah, state religion, yeah. which is, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. What's interesting to me is I guess it, I mean, all of these kind of coincide with political and like, you know what I'm saying? Like geopolitical changes. Because mm-hmm. obviously the fall of the Roman Empire is a big thing <laughs> for everyone. Well, I guess it it split. And I'm a little shaky on the history here, but it split kind of into two empires because there were two emperors for a while. Right. And then I think in the Great Schism is when they're like, no more of this. Yeah. Like, we're not, like, whatever. All that to say, uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think, yeah, even, like, the Reformation is kind of politically relevant. Right. Maybe if not, like, the reason for it, but lots of, like, for instance, like different kings would jump on the Protestant thing so they didn't have to listen to the Pope anymore. You know what I mean? So it was still very, like, political in its nature. Yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely an an interesting observation. And and the fact that she, like, when she originally proposed the idea, one of the additional lines that she put as, I guess, a caveat is the the give or take a decade or two between those, you know, 500-year... Uh, time spans um and so it's not like 
it's not like one singular event right, right was right. the tipping point so like even the fall of the roman empire started off it was a slow decline right, right. um for the for the roman empire it, it, it really some scholars kind of start that decline or the start that timeline leading up to the the you know the eventual fall of the roman empire back in 300 where mm. constantine um legalizes christianity and then right. subsequently after that actually makes it a you know the state religion um, right and a lot of scholars point to the erosion of traditional you know roman values as right what led the to fall. the fall of the Roman yeah. Empire. And even the Protestant Reformation. It wasn't just Martin Luther right. um, nailing the 95 Theses in Wittenberg that sparked it. I mean, it was, I guess, like a catalyst. But before him, was it Wycliffe? Had, um, yeah. And then Jan Hus as well. And a couple of other, you know, smaller pockets of reformations within Europe all conglomerated into what eventually led to the split between, you know, the split from the Roman Catholic Church. Right, right. But that took place over, you know, numerous years as well. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting. I think there's, like, like you're saying, there's a lot of, like, complexity. And, yeah, it's not just, like, this event happened here 500 years ago and then this event. You know, there are these kind of... I guess monumental shifts in how the church functioned or was organized. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I don't I think yeah, what, it's interesting. I think the language that either Phyllis Tickle used or some other writers who kind of followed her ideas was like the church went through like a rummage sale or a garage sale where it's like, okay, these ideas have been way too institutionalized within the church Mm. we need to get rid of them they're not core doctrines yeah let's get rid of them and let's get back to you know um the way it should be um which is really interesting um i mean i'm on board yeah (laughs) if this does happen i'm down i'm down to (laughs) all that to say i think that the the whole 500 year and and the point is yeah we're at that 500 year mark now we're just over 500 years from 1517, which is, you know, when Martin Luther kneeled the 95 theses on right. the church door, or so the the story is is uh, <laughs> right. is told. Um, the the thing that I think the danger is using that as a, I guess as a like a dogma as a means or of prophecy. Something. Yeah, something like to teach God, you know, authoritatively. God's, yeah, because the like all the this observation was made in hindsight right 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 and so and things are only clear like god's movements are are most clear i think looking back right Um, and so um i mean people like imagine how devastating it would have been for you know the the people living during the time of the the fall of the Roman Empire, to see this world power just crumble away, yeah, that was a paradigm shift, right? And right. so, to people living in those times, it would have looked like the end of the world, right? Right. Um, but you get that same idea even now, as well. You know, the whole wars and rumors of wars. Every sure. every um, world event like that yeah. is used 
as right. a, it, it, it's pointed to as the fulfillment of prophecy. You, right. People did that in World War One or World War Two. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Hitler's the Antichrist. You know, right. this is the end times. Yeah. So I think it's dangerous to use as a means of saying, okay, you know, something big is happening in the church right now. I'm not denying that something big is happening. I think it'd be great. Yeah. You know, it's. Yeah, uh, I guess we'll see. Yeah. What is it? it? Semper reform. Reformata. Always reforming is. is Oh, yeah. I think that's what we should be. I guess that's why I'm on board with, you know, hopefully whatever comes next not whatever but you know if it's a if it is a reformation yeah and if it uh if it coincide if all these coincide with political events i mean the political uh, situation in america at least is certainly in a state of instability (laughs) yeah well we've talked about it throughout the season i mean it seems like the whole world is in a state of some political upheaval yeah i mean even the the current pandemic (laughs) right is right yeah huge huge right everything is just chaotic right now so maybe who knows but probably shouldn't teach it from the pulpit (laughs) right i think it's yeah that that i think is going a little bit too far but i think there is some level of hopeful expectation like Mm. christians historically are 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 people who who understand god to be working in history right by human means um, and we're, you know, we're along for that journey. Uh, and, and I think there is a healthy amount of hopeful expectation of what God can do. Um, yeah. But let's just not be too rigid about what that looks like. Right, right, right. Totally. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I guess Thanks, we can. Charlie. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. I certainly learned something because I had never heard of this. actually has a a few you know kind of just quick questions but uh the first is do you guys write and record the musical parts between segments and the answer is yes we do we do indeed yes we do we both have a semi-musical background yeah fun fact we were in a band together in college it's true city saints and we toured (laughs) a very short-lived tour (laughs) yeah (laughs) literally toured around illinois that was fun. That was fun. So yeah, we both uh, we both write and record some music um, when we can. Maybe yeah, when we can. You yeah. did the you did the intro, the introduction music. Yes, the intro music. Hear. Yes, you've done and the a, outro, a lot. The That's true. Music, I guess. Intro and outro. Pretty much, if there's a lot of guitar, it's probably from me. And if there's a lot of synth or <laughs> piano keyboard stuff. stuff, yeah, it's probably record. Yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, yeah, you've done a lot of the the interludes. Yeah, that's true. Most of you. Yeah. Nice. Anyway, cool. so maybe we'll have more for next season. Who knows? Yeah. No promises. Start maybe. working during the break. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Alan also asks, uh, as Christians, should we be concerned with the morality of a secular world? Should morality be a backseat issue until after a faith in Christ is established? Yeah, it's just an interesting question. Hmm. Yeah, I guess first initial thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the how can you hold somebody accountable to a standard that they don't hold? You know what I'm saying? So Which, I mean, yeah, it makes perfect sense. On the other hand, there's other people who would argue that, like, you know, morality or, like, yeah, a more moral society is a better society. Mm-hmm. The The only issue with that is that the definition of morality between people changes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So depending on the culture's values, morality just, like, looks different. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So that's where it's, it's tough because Christian morality is a different thing than, you know, cultural morality or, you know... I guess, common morality or something like that in any specific culture. It's different from Buddhist morality or Hindu morality or Islamic morality. You know, there's mm-hmm. all, there's definitely some common traits. It's not like, you know, one is like, you know, killing people is a good thing or something. Like there's there's similar traits among them, but there are like pretty striking differences, at least in emphasis of what they're like, you know, what the morality is emphasizing. So that's where... I don't know. It's hard to be dogmatic in a culture that's pluralistic. You know what I'm saying? Because obviously these people don't, you know, non-Christians don't believe that the Bible is authoritative on their lives like Christians do. Mm -hmm. So that's where you just, you run into some, you know, some hiccups. I mean, because that's, it kind of is connected to like legislating morality, right? Like, you know, let's just take something really silly or like, I don't know if silly is the right word, but like adultery, for instance. I think most people in most cultures would sit like, you know, I mean, consider like unfaithfulness in marriage or in, you know, in a relationship, like as an, you know, immoral thing to do. But like, it's not punished necessarily in like law, nor should it be. It might be punished in like certain communities, like Mm -hmm. socially, you know what I'm saying? Like there might be some sort of consequence. I mean, there, there's always consequences, but, um, but yeah, to I guess to hold people to a standard that only Christians have due to their relationship with the authority of the Bible. I guess it's, yeah, it's just a slippery, you know, kind of thin ice, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I th- so th- there are a few things here that come to mind for me. Um, one is that no one is amoral. Sure. Right, they're... they're I think we'd be hard pressed to find anyone who says there is no standard of of right or wrong or what should or should not be done. Sure. Regardless of what they say, right. when it comes to praxis, no one would say that complete anarchy is the reality right. <laughs> of the right. world. Um and so so there's that. And the the other thing too is that you you kind of touched on it earlier, but but there's I think there's a, a base sense of morality, a base sense of what is right or wrong, uh, mm-hmm. you know what is ethical, what is unethical, um, 
and how that's nuanced like what you you were saying in different cultures and different time eras um can look different if we do look at it from you know just a biblical narrative sort of perspective sure the the god who created humanity you know put a base sense of morality in the hearts of people who he created to bear his image paul talks about it in his letters and people suppress that knowledge of right and wrong um, and choose to do otherwise um and so i think there's i think there's always again that base sense of morality and if and the the second part of alan's question is should morality be a backseat issue until after a faith in christ is established i think christ's own ministry is uh, can be looked at as as a kind of a prescriptive way to go right he he didn't how do i put this not morality shouldn't necessarily be a backseat issue but it should be an issue that um is nuanced in light of the reality of christ yeah um right so it's it's almost because it comes with it comes with a discipleship thing right like yeah the, the great commission wasn't go and make converts it right. was go and disciple and, and sure. that, that that word entails a process right. uh, and so in the process of um of creating these disciples these followers of christ there is a nuancing and a and a transformation of the idea of morality sure um, sure all yeah I'm, I'm kind of like rambling right now but no no all that to say there's a base sense of morality in an in each person but that needs to be refined and transformed in light of christ and so it's not so much that well i'll table this you know the morality issue until i can get a a relationship with christ firmly situated no i think it kind of goes hand in hand with each other as you develop a relationship with christ morality needs to be transformed and refined in light of that sure no yeah that's good I mean, I think, yeah, what you said was good. Um, I guess just from words from the mouth of Jesus of, you know, I've not come for the righteous, but like for the sinners to repent. You know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think, I don't know. I think that there's a special place in God's heart for, yeah, broken and sinful people, you know what I mean, to turn Mm -hmm. and repent. So that's where I guess, yeah, I don't know if I would use the language of a a backseat issue per se, Mm -hmm. but it is to say, I mean, Jesus took people who were, you know, worst of the worst, um, the whole, like throughout his ministry and people who were despised. So, yeah, I don't think, I mean, I don't think you have to be, you know, a a pillar of morality to be, to come to Christ. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I think, I mean, I think what he, like when he's talking about, should we be concerned about the morality of a secular world. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think what he's saying, what he's asking is uh, a world that's trying to get further and further away from religion, right? Not, not so much mm-hmm. a, a, a non-Christian world, but a world that's trying to get mm-hmm. away from any um, confines sure. of, of what is, um, what is institutionalized yeah. as right or wrong right. In, in, in religion. 
Well, I, I don't necessarily, I guess I don't see a departure from quote unquote morality. I see a departure from like institutions, like it's anti-structuralist. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like people are, at least from what I've heard, like people are just, are more spiritual than ever. They're just not into like organized, you know what I mean? Like tenants or dogma or that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So I guess that's where it's like, I think it's just the trend of the day that we're being anti-structuralist. But that doesn't necessarily mean that like that we're going away from morality. I think that the church in America, I'm actually not sure. I haven't seen the statistics in a while, but in my, like in what I've seen, the church in America is like waning in influence, like over the, over the culture, like at large, which I think is interesting. I don't know if it's something that we should really like hold on to with, you know, white knuckles. I think, I think that it could be a good thing for Christianity. Um, but anyway, that so yeah, I'm not sure if that's that's getting on it exactly. Yeah. There's kind of a couple ways you could take that yeah. question. Well, I think it, just I guess maybe to to end on this question um, or draw this question to a close, I want I just want to get back to the idea of uh, that idea of base morality, right? The the fur if modern culture is you know as I was trying to say getting trying to get away from institutionalization, institutionalized religion, that sort of thing, um, and to it to the extreme of that the the right the rigid right and wrongs do's and don'ts of those institutionalized religions then eventually it will come to a point where the 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 structure crumbles because there's no infrastructure right right and so i mean maybe that does go back to the the whole 500 year (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know reformation sort of thing but at, at some point it will be evident that this is not working, right? And so, I mean, should, sh- I mean, should we be worried? I mean, I guess eventually, but I think historically, what we've seen is a, is a, a cyclical sort of, sure, um, development, redevelopment, deconstruction, reconstruction, right, um, right, sort of thing at some level, right? No, because um, yeah. again, I think that base morality, is is honestly like the only thing that one of the only things that keeps human civilization from crumbling sure and just and ripping itself apart right yeah for sure i mean i guess without morality it's just like animals you know what i mean that's what animals they're amoral they just live and you know they do what's best for them right which i don't think any i mean maybe some but most humans i would say would not hold that view yeah anyway that was a long answer for a short question but <laughs> Um, yeah, we can we can keep going. Uh, the next one is, do you feel that the modern Christian church has lost something in their faith by leaving a high church style of service? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is, once again, back to our Doing Church uh, episode, which is the final one of the season. Um, so, I mean, short answer, yes, but I also think they gain something. You know, that's And that's kind of what we talked about in the episode is, you know, whatever wherever you find yourself in these binaries and by binaries we just mean like a spectrum like for instance urban and rural your church is somewhere on the spectrum of urban and rural um you know uh, monocultural versus multicultural you're somewhere in that spectrum Mm -hmm. um you know young or old you're somewhere in that spectrum so that's what we mean by binaries um so yeah high church versus low church is another one um usually usually 
that might be the category that's less of a spectrum and more of like a, there's different steps, you know, there's not too many like in between high church and low churches, at least that I know. Um, but yeah, all that is to say there are positives and negatives to any of the spots on the binary. So, you know, high church has some definite advantages, you know, reverence for God, an actual like solemnness towards faith, which I find is not usually an aspect of low church. You know, there's a lot of things, but then low church has, you know, a lot of advantages too. Um, usually just like, you know, more modern styles of music, which are, you know, uh, easier for people to, I guess, enter into and understand. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So it's, there's positives and negatives to both. Um, in, in all those binaries, but definitely in the, in the high church, low church discussion as well. So yeah. I'd say, yeah, there, there are some, um, losses, but there's also some gains. So yeah, it just, yeah. just depends. Uh, I think one major thing that, um, that the church has lost in leaving the high church model, or at least, um, forgotten, uh, maybe not lost completely is the historic tie to, um, to Christians of the past. I think one of the beautiful things about um, other um, about particular high church um, traditions is the connection with the universal church, not Definitely. just the universal church presently, but with saints departed. Mm. Uh, and you don't get that with a lot of low church, a lot honestly, a lot of uh, Protestant evangelical churches. You yeah. get that with um, with Roman Catholic. Uh, uh, churches or you get that with um, varying strains of orthodox uh, christianity right. they have saints that they that they venerate right. um it, you know the conversation of venerate and worship praying to and you know asking for prayer for that's a whole nother conversation but i think the the important thing there is that within those high church models there's yeah. a connection to other believers other believers who have gone before you. Uh, and that's something I think that is sorely lacking from yeah. um, today's modern, you know, mostly low church contexts. Sure. Sure. Totally. And that could be just an American thing too. Right. Um, as well. Cause America, I think in large part is very individualistic. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's not to say that your church that you're attending should now become a liturgical high church. But it is to say, you know, maybe, and this is what we said in that podcast was, you know, maybe try to establish relationships with churches that function in a different way uh, or are, you know, fall in different spots on those binaries mm -hmm. just to, once again, enrich, you know, you know, the experience of the congregation um, and just the, you know, growth, development, discipleship of, of the people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel pretty good about that one. Cool. Yeah. Alan also asks... Is the beginning of The Great Adventure truly the greatest song intro in CCM history, in <laughs> contemporary Christian music history? Oh, wow. For those this of you who don't know, um, yeah. <laughs> I wish we had the rights to that song and I could, uh, yeah. we could, you know, insert a clip of it in there. But Stephen Curtis Chapman, <laughs> I grew up listening to that song. So, oh, yeah. And it, that was, I think that was one of like, the first songs that I had grown up listening to when i first moved to america so it holds a special place in my heart uh, so my yeah. vote is yes <laughs> <laughs> i 
I honestly don't remember the beginning, so I couldn't. I can't speak to this one. I know my my areas of expertise. I just remember that one line. This is the great adventure. <laughs> anyway, nice. Um, yeah, we can go continue continue on so he asks also living in a borderline digital world do you feel that the practices of evangelism uh the practice of evangelism needs to be updated into a more modern method i mean that's interesting i mean i think that's happening just like like not even intentionally like there are some like street preaching people but they're way less common than they were back Mm -hmm. in the day like street preacher preachers used to kind of be famous like right you know a de- or I, what was it a century ago so that's where it's like i mean i think i think things just change with the culture obviously we should be thoughtful about it um and we shouldn't just be like well it just changes and that's no big deal but yeah i mean i think it it just updates depending on the context i mean once again america is becoming more pluralistic um anti-structuralist so it's just yeah i mean i think methods are just going to change um mm-hmm. Yeah, once again, we should be thoughtful about it. But I think it's kind of, it's inevitable in, in some way. As culture changes, methods change. Yeah. No, I agree. I think this this current season of of life has also, and we talked about this in the, in the previous episode, but it's forced a lot of churches to rethink how they do church. Um, yeah. And in, in many ways, it's moved towards that digital space. Um, hmm. And so I think instead of trying to hold on to the way we think we, we used to do evangelism, uh, you know, let's kind of ride the wave a little bit and sure. let's see how we can use modern technology to better do evangelism. Because let's just take street preaching as an example, right? In, in some areas of, of the world or the country, in, in, you know, in the United States, for example, um, that might still be an effective way of communicating the gospel. Sure. Uh, and if it's working in a particular context, I'd say go for it. I mean, we see a model like that in, in the New Testament, right? Paul would do that. But, but arguably, the, the social context is very much different right. um, today than it was for Paul, where that was the norm. Right. Um, in some areas of the world, some parts of America, that might still be you know somewhat the norm uh, where people will actually interact with you but i think in large part at least in major cities people will just people will just ignore you um, right, and so right. we have to ask ourselves is that is that the most effective way to communicate sure. the well i'm not going to say i'm not going to go and say that it's an ineffective way or the gospel isn't being communicated or lives are being transformed by you know by that sort of thing, but is it the most effective way? Sure. Um, well, it's just a different context. Like, even, once again, a century ago or way back in Paul's time, like, you know, how people get information is, you know, somebody telling them, you know, face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, I mean, access to information is kind of ridiculous. So that's, and the internet and all that. I mean, if they want to listen to a preacher, they can. <laughs> right. So that's the thing, is it's it's just different. Not to say, once again... Yeah, not to say that it's wrong to do that or something like that, but it's just different, and I think things change and can be a bad thing, but not necessarily a bad thing in any yeah. way. So, yeah, Moder- modernity isn't all bad, right? Sure, right? 
nor post-modernity, I would say. There's good things in all of them. We just got to not get too long. Anyway, we're getting into <laughs> random stuff. <laughs> all right. Uh, Alan asks one last question. Um, modern spiritual thought tends to drift to gathering ideas from all religions to become truly enlightened. How spiritually dangerous is this path? Hmm. I mean, that's interesting because we were kind of just talking about getting, gaining wisdom from different sources. And even what we were talking about, about morality earlier of, you know, there is this common morality with kind of different emphases. I mean, I think, here's the thing. I think that, I think it's okay for Christians to say, you know what, there's some things that like, just doing a random example, but like there's some things that like Buddhists do that like, you know, I think like, I think they got it right on that one. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's something that we can learn from. But so like, I don't think we should be like scared of other religions or like growing up, like, which maybe this is some people listening, but the whole thing of like, you know, other religions are like of the devil and that kind of thing. I think that that's just like an unhelpful way to think about it because then like we're treating human, other human beings as like the enemy or like agents of the enemy or like something like that, which I think is unhelpful at best <laughs> and like really dangerous and bad and like bad for our souls at worst. So I guess that's where, yeah, I think you can like learn something from other people and other ways of doing things. But that doesn't mean that you have to be, you know, um, what's the word? I guess, I guess pluralistic within yourself where, you know, yeah, you know, all these are equal and, you know, there's nothing. Obviously, everyone has a belief set that they commit to. So I think sometimes people are, I don't know if afraid is the right word, but yeah, I guess afraid to claim exclusivity with Christianity uh, because, you know, by saying I'm right, you're saying everyone else is wrong. So, which I understand, I because I I totally get it. But everybody has that. Everybody has a thing that they believe is right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that's where, to me, it it's not an issue to say. You know, there's exclusive Christian truth that I think is actually more truthful. Uh, mm-hmm. But not that is to say I can still learn things from other religions or groups. Yeah, I think. For me, it's the idea of what does it point beyond itself? Um, What does it point to beyond itself? So those commonalities that we find um, even between Christianity and other other faiths or um, gathering like what you were saying, the good things um, that that line up with like. I think I'd say most major religions agree that murder is wrong <laughs> yeah right. so there's a commonality there and i think sure. the, the reality that that points to beyond itself is again that that base you know level uh, uh base commonality of of morality and um and the idea that that humanity is trying to find a way to 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 coexist with you know with itself and so I think the the goal in in people trying to to get all these ideas from these different religions is on the far extreme of that that endeavor of trying sure. to promote a and create a more um, unified um, humanity. Sure. Um, but we see that in 
in the biblical narrative as well and 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 what that ends up that kind of syncretic practice never ends up right um, syncretism that's what i was looking for earlier anyway keep going <laughs> <laughs> it, it never um it never produces anything good um, sure. because um in you you can't accept all ideas as no. being equally valid and true Absolutely. there are some ideas like christianity claims that jesus christ was was not only the son of god but god himself right um while mormons believe that he was a created being right but they also claim to be christians sure so there's a disconnect there right right right, right? and so you can't you at some level you can't accept all all things but there are certain yeah. things and it's usually with it has to deal with moral morality and ethics um, right. not so much doctrinal issues i think with with morality and ethics it's easier to to sure. pick up on commonalities and say okay yes the bible actually does affirm that same thing but i think it goes back to the core of well that's god's image sure. act, you know living itself out in uh, in human existence yeah, whereas with with theological and doctrinal issues i think it's harder to do that because um yeah because other religions don't necessarily yeah hold to yeah i'm skirting around the issue but they don't right. hold to the god of the bible as the the one true god who revealed himself and That's whose right. image is in each and every human being right yeah i mean it's yeah it's just really interesting i mean it's man i mean there's a lot of questions even with that like for instance how like how close to christian dogma and doctrine do you have to like be you know what i'm saying like mm -hmm. what are the deal breakers which i guess i would say just the historical doctrines of the church are the deal breakers but yeah anyway it's it's interesting yeah. i think the the heart of the question, I think, or at least for me, is like, I don't think we have anything to fear from other ways of thinking. And I think we actually have something to learn from them. Uh, but also, there's nothing wrong with claiming exclusivity. Mm -hmm. Because that's, I mean, that's something that the culture would probably, you know, culture is such an ambiguous term. But American culture is becoming more and more, you know live your truth. You know what I mean? That's like a thing you see on Facebook posts and it's like, okay. So, you know, I guess that's where I think it's okay to, ex to claim exclusive truth, mostly because I think everybody does it, even if they deny that they do it. Right. They're, they're claiming that syncretism is exclusively the best way to, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. like handle these different viewpoints. So that's where yeah. it's, everyone has, everyone has like an exclusive outlook. Um, so yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I th well, Alan's question was, I guess, specifically about it. It uh, the dangers of of this practice or this idea spiritually. Sure. I think in that, in you know, specifically in terms of spiritual thing, like I said earlier, doctrinal and theological things, Christianity is very distinct. Um, sure. And so you're gonna be, I think it's harder to to do that. And so in that case, I'd say it it is dangerous because, um, because it you're in opening up the in opening up to and assenting to the validity of these other spiritual ideas or theological ideas 
you're also um, in reality rejecting the theological ideas that are revealed in scripture sure uh, that's truth and so there is a danger in that if I can yeah, well, yeah for sure like that I guess I guess that's where it's like I have no problem like just claiming exclusivity in my you know and being a Christian and like the Christian doctrines but then also I don't know learning you know what I'm saying to me that mm-hmm. those aren't like it's not like if like if I learn from these other but even like practices I guess which maybe this is where we differ a little bit but like I don't know not that I know anything about meditation because I don't really like do it but like if I don't know if like like maybe meditation is can be like a good thing you know what I'm saying I mean obviously the Bible says like meditate uh, and not, like at least in my church growing up that was always explained away it was like that's just like thinking about the word you know and it's like well is it about is that what it is anyway I think I'm yeah that's that's fair I think dangerous is just the wrong word but like if if like you just think that all ways of doing things are great and like you know this the whole syncretic thing that you're talking about i guess to me it's like well then your like exclusive claims like it's i mean i don't know if that's like if that person is a christian as defined like historically they might think of themselves as such but you know what i'm saying if mm-hmm. if i guess if you're not making an exclusive claim i guess that's to me at least as far as like christian doctrine goes i mean that you kind of have to you know what i'm saying yeah yeah it goes part and parcel with right with the idea with so the, i just wouldn't categorize that person <laughs> anyway yeah oh uh, yeah that was a kind of like a a long-winded that answer was. hopefully that, that gets to it's it's a big question for um, sure um, and well, it's that's a big that, thing that's a growing issue in america is like how do we deal oh, yeah. with like i guess diversity and like more diversity in religious thought than has mm-hmm. ever been present you know great yeah, so that's good. That's a good question. Yeah. That could probably be a podcast in all honesty. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I think that was the, yeah, that's the last question uh, that was sent nice. in. Yeah, those are great. I mean, honestly, yeah. like you were saying, like you were saying, a lot of these questions could be their own yeah. podcast episodes. So. Thanks so much for sending them in, honestly. Yeah. We appreciate Definitely. it. They're fun to talk about. Yeah, it was fun doing this, uh, this bonus episode. Um, yes. Yeah, before we we sign off for the season uh there are a few exciting announcements that i think mm. uh we should announce i guess absolutely yeah. <laughs> uh, one is that we've got a facebook page now so mm. so there's that so you go find us on facebook it's just questions from the pew um if you follow us on instagram already the the link is also uh on there but we've got a facebook page now and then uh two we uh if you if you don't know already we are on patreon uh, and so any support you give us uh, yeah helps us to do uh, to create more content like this um, oh. the nice thing is we have tiers of support now so you can become a patreon a subscriber a, a, a supporter of ours for as little as one dollar each month uh, the nice thing about that is if you do enter in at that level uh, you'll be um, you'll be, what's it called? You'll become part of a private Facebook group uh, mm-hmm. of subscribers and people who are, uh, again, Patreon subscribers. And uh, at the top level, um, you'll not only get the, you know, the the private Facebook group, but then you'll also be able to take part in a live monthly Q and R time, kind of like this during 
that'll happen during the season. That'll be with me and Lucas. Um, and you'll be a part of a producer's group that kind of, that we, that we'll be able to kind of bounce ideas. Hey, what, what, what do you think is working? What, what could be improved on that sort of thing? Cause again, we value, um, your opinion and, and that, uh, yeah. So you'll, you'll see all those different tiers on yeah. our Patreon page and we'll put a link to that, um, in our show notes as well. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. We appreciate it. Well, thanks for listening this, this season. Um, yeah, yeah as record two. said, wait, what'd you say? Season two. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's true. This is the end of season two. On to season three coming in the spring. Um, yeah, as record said, always can can support us financially on Patreon. Uh, if you can't support us financially, you can always give us a, a good rating or review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on. And that just helps others find our podcast. Yeah. And uh, please go ahead and keep commenting, keep asking questions. You can, as always, leave us a short voice message or text at 312-725-2995. This has been Questions from the Pew, podcast in the World Outspoken Network. To learn more about World Outspoken and its mission to prepare the Mestizo Church for cultural change, visit www.worldoutspoken.com. For Questions from the Pew, I'm Riker Zalameda. I'm Lucas Manning. We'll see you next season. Bye.